Welcome to the Wildlife Health Talks. This is the 16th episode introducing WDA members and their amazing work all over the world. Get ready to dream yourself away to the dense rainforests of Indonesia. You remain still to listen to the sounds of the forest. You hear rustling and suddenly you spot a giant hairy orange creature that appears among the greenery. My guest today is an expert on those creatures. Her name is Dr. Francisca Solistio, and she knows all there is to know about orangutans. Siska learned her ropes about the gentle giants as animal welfare coordinator at the Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation, called BOSF. This organization is an Indonesian NGO that runs one of the biggest great ape rescues rehabilitation and reintroduction programs in the world. Currently, she works with OVAG, the Orangutan Veterinary Advisory Group, as an independent consultant for several Orangutan rescue and rehabilitation centers in Indonesia. She is also involved in multiple research projects in the field of veterinary and behavioral science of Orangutans. With her team, she designs and organizes workshops and training programs for vets in Orangutan rescue centers in Indonesia and Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Siska. Thank you. Hi, Kat. Thank you for having me. Siska, you are a fairly new member to WDA. Please tell us, why did you join the organization? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I guess I've known WDA since 2014 or something. And then um, look up at, at your website and see that there are so many references, resources about um, wildlife disease, obviously. And yeah, it's something that really, really interesting to me. And then I think earlier this year, our colleague from Wildlife Health Australia kind of connected OVEC, Orangutan Veterinary Advisory Group, uh, to the WDA group. And then, yeah, some of us now became a member of WDA. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Before we start talking about your actual work, which I'm really excited learning about, I'm really curious about what vet school is like in Indonesia. So Indonesia is such a rich biodiversity of wildlife, especially in the rainforesty mm-hmm. areas. Do you feel like was that in any way represented in the curriculum of your vet school? Like, did you learn about these wildlife species while you were a student? Well, you have to know that I did my vet school long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then in short, no, we learned so little about our own wildlife. That is exactly uh, one of my passion now. I really want to help improve the vet education here in Indonesia so that we can really master our own endemic species, our own biodiversity. So besides working with orangutans and OFAC and other things, I also did some lectures at um, a local vet school here. And I gave a lot of, yeah, tried to introduce about wildlife, the amazing services to the to the ecosystem to, and, and other things to, to the vet school here. So yeah, I really hope we can improve that vet school education here in Indonesia. How did you get into working with orangutans? It was not planned initially. (laughs) (laughs) 
So upon graduation, I'm I'm so ready to to step into small animal clinical practice. But then there's this advertisement um, uh, vacancy from Boss Foundation, Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation. They're looking for a vet. Um, I accompanied my friend who who also a fresh graduate, and we both did the interview, and I got the job. And yeah, and that's all. I work at Nyarumenteng, the the Post Foundation um, Center in Central Kalimantan in Borneo Island. I worked there for five years and then, yeah, never looked back, basically. <laughs> that is awesome. I love those stories where you didn't really mean to work there and then you just no. did so well in the interview and they were like, yes, we love you. We want to have you. And it's like, <laughs> okay, all right, I guess so. <laughs> that is yeah, pretty it's, awesome. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Actually, I've never touched a primate. Before I work in Orangutan Center. So, so there you go. <laughs> that is awesome. And can you tell, especially for people, for members of our audience who haven't worked with primates, and I have to admit, I've never touched a primate in my life either. So I feel like it's, it's not that uncommon, really. Um, <laughs> do you have any favorite um, fun facts about Orangutans that uh, most people don't know? Oh, I like so many cats. <laughs> yeah, they're obviously my favorite animal. Primates, especially great apes, they're, they're super smart, as you know, right? And they share so many, um, characteristics with us humans. So working with them is basically working with, a with a species or a culture that is very similar to us, um, without the verbal culture. So they don't talk, right? And that, that is, something that really um, differentiate them with human but also there are a lot of them that are very very similar to human for example um, I see based on my experience um, orangutans do have favorite people and they will really create once with this, it's usually their caregivers or, or their vets. I have a few favorite orangutans and I think I was favorite to some of my, of the orangutans where I work with. And yeah, the bond was quite strong, I think, and it, it keeps for years. And I think that's, that's amazing. I feel like you must have done really well with them because I heard from a lot of zoo vets that the primates often don't like them just because they know that oh. the vets are the ones giving them injections and hurting oh. them a little. So I think you must have really impressed them that they, despite everything you've done to them, they still like you. <laughs> I suppose, but also, yeah, our... Yeah. Orangutan rehabilitation centers in Indonesia and Malaysia, the system is a bit different with zoos. So we have a more fluid what work relationship with the animals. So basically you can really be in contact with the with the animals and work with them, stay with them, um, observe their behavior, observe when they are sick, so whatever and whatever. So that makes it um yeah, it's I think it's too easy to bond with them and and create a personal <laughs> personal <laughs> relationship, if you may say, um, which is uh, not always a good thing because um, you know rehab centers. Um, our ultimate goal is to reintroduce them back to the wild, so we don't want them to be um, too close to human, um, and that is that is always a fine balance. It's always a 
yeah a really balance where you you know where you step in and make a bond with them especially when they are very young and they need that trust that sense that they are safe from from any danger but once they are getting bigger they start into adulthood they have to know that not all human are their safe space you really only have to trust this and this human that you know from your childhood but you never should approach a stranger for example and that is a very difficult concept that we have to share to the orangutans in our rehab center so yeah That does sound very difficult. What's your strategy to get that across? It seems very contradictory, right? Like, as yes. you said, when they're young, when they're like kids, basically, mm -hmm. then you have mm -hmm. to give them that trust because otherwise they don't grow into confident mm -hmm. adults. But once they turn yeah. into teenagers and adults, they need to be aware that they can't trust yeah. humans too much. How do you tackle that uh, controversy? Yeah, so there are stages within rehabilitation uh, programs and different center will do it differently based on their situation, their environment. But basically, when we rescue or confiscate as a baby, they will be with their caregivers or surrogate mothers almost 24-7. And we try to keep the individual the same so we don't switch between too many caregivers. And then as they are growing up into childhood, you can say, that's when we try to introduce them to their peers, the other orangutans that are of the same age and same body size. And that's, I guess that's a gradual process. So once they are getting, when they are getting bigger, they should be better with their peer orangutans rather than with human. And then when they grow into teenager, if you may say, some centers will have this kind of islands or a natural enclosure, but surrounded fence. And that is where we stop contact between human and orangutans. Um, we only give like food provision, for example, and do data observation, behavior data observation from a distance. But it was our time to kind of win Uh, the orangs off, off and yeah again after a while hopefully they will be more interested to socialize with their own species and once we see that there are no longer need of human support then it's time to reintroduce them back to the wild When you moved into the rainforest, when you started working for BOSF, what was that like for you working and living there at the same time? Yeah, I was young at the time and <laughs> really, you know, we're happy to do anything, happy to face anything. And it was fun. I mean, a lot of adventures. We will go on days of road trips to, to confiscate uh, baby orangutans deep in the villages of Dayak tribe in Borneo. And then, yeah, in the center, I lived with, what, 700 uh, orangutans at that time. And again... I'm proud to say that I think I remember about 500 or 600 of them individually. So I can recognize each and every one of them, including their, you know, their personality, their, what they behavior, those kind of things. So that's, that's like living not with human, but more with orangutans, right? And it really teaches me about their behavior, their culture. And also at some point, it helped me to understand human better. If you know what I mean, 
because at the end of the day, we are all primates, right? And we all, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we all communicate in roughly the same way, like, like with our senses, five senses, visual is our dominant senses, right? And it's the same with, with orangutans and humans. So I guess living with the orangutans at that time helped me to become a better observer of human interaction, human relationship. And I guess I, I also take some characters of the orangutans. I become calmer <laughs> and more introvert. <laughs> Those kind of things. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, we as humans, we have to spend so much time into, depending on uh, what we prefer, like maybe doing meditation or something to become calmer. <laughs> and the orang utans, they just do it naturally, right? They're just naturally calm. Exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> nice. But I guess from what I learned, like preparing for this interview, you did face some slightly dangerous situations as well when working with them closely. Like, do you want to tell us about one or two of those situations? What happened? Yeah, those dangerous situations usually happen when we are too trusting with the orangutans or we have, what do you call it? We expect differently from what they actually show to us um, in terms of behavior. So, yeah, at one time, I remember quite clearly, this is not very fatal, um, fortunately. So I was um, I was walking around the enclosures in Nyarumenteng, and there's this uh, big cage enclosure, and it's, it's about, the floor is about two meters high from, from the ground. So people can actually walk under the cage and um, clean up the the cage floor or do whatever under the cage. So I walk there and I can walk easily there so I don't have to crouch or anything. I think I was about to collect some fecal sample. And then yeah, suddenly a female, a young female orangutan, maybe she's just 30 kilograms away. She pulled my hair from above <laughs> and my whole body was lifted. <laughs> oh no. So so yeah. That luckily incredibly I, painful. Yeah, luckily there's another keeper around and he helped me. That was, that was not, not fatal, but funny. Well, now, now to think about it, it is a bit funny that you get lifted by an orangutan. It is funny, but I also feel for you. It does sound very painful. You mentioned before how close you found them to humans and how many similarities you found when dealing with them on a daily basis. Um, mm -hmm. How close would you say is orangutan medicine to human medicine? Yeah, it's very similar as you can imagine. Uh, on the surface, for example, a human doctor can can give um, first treatment to any orangutan with, with similar symptoms that they can see. But more in-depth knowledge is needed when you work with them longer. And it's not only about caring for individuals, like treating individual diseases, but you also need to think about the population and the species, which um, could be very different to human. Actually, for example, the disease of malaria caused by blood parasite, plasmodium, right? Yeah. And in human, all plasmodium are pathogen. So whenever a doctor see a human with their blood test showing positive of plasmodium, they will be immediately on anti-malarial drug. But in orangutans and other non-human primates, there are plasmodium that are natural to them and it's not pathogenic to them or uh, give very little um, 
health issues. So you don't treat those kind of things uh, because it's not really a pathogen to to orangutan. So yeah, a, on the surface, it's about the same like human medicine to orangutan medicine. But if you want to do it well, you have to really understand all the differences, all the differences that orangutans and other non-human primates have compared to to human. That is so interesting, but I guess it makes a lot of sense, right? Because I don't know how long orangutans have evolutionary evolved with mm. malaria, but I assume it has been a very long time so that they're not that bothered by it anymore. Yeah. That is really cool. After those five years in the bush working for the same organization, <laughs> now you are an independent consultant for several different rescue and rehabilitation centers. Do you sometimes mm -hmm. miss having that close and personal relationship with like individual orangutans? Oh, yes. Yes, big time. <laughs> There's a small regret in me um, that I don't do fat practice as much as I want or as much as I was before. Still, well, I'm I'm not complaining or anything. I'm still grateful <laughs> with my situation now because I feel that I can still develop and then I feel that I can still contribute to the species on a broader scope, basically. What are the challenges you feel like you're facing in your current advisory role? Um, yeah, being a consultant and try to see things from the bigger picture, I guess the challenges is always to try to understand the context of the situation or an issue. One particular issue might have completely different context if you see it in, in one center, for example, and as you might have seen it in another standard. So it needs a different solution or different um, perspective on how to deal with it. Then the other thing, in being in an advisory role, it really teach me to try to understand from others' perspective and try to, you know, incorporate all other people's difficulties, point of views, issues, and really validate it all in order to to solve a problem so really basically being in an advisory role helps me to better work with people basically mm -hmm. you mentioned before how well i guess how similar orangutas can be to people but on the other hand medically there can be also different mm -hmm. so what about covid 19 when the pandemic hit mm -hmm. has that been an issue for the primates at all It is. Uh, it was a huge issue um, here in Indonesia. Well, in Malaysia, I suppose, also when COVID hit in 2020. So as you know, there's a big lockdown movement everywhere, and also applies. That also applied in all many orangutan centers. So many centers stop uh, any visitation, any visitors from outside. They do a whole bunch of screening for the staff, testing, isolation, quarantine procedure. And that's really a huge, you can say it a learning opportunity, but also a huge stress <laughs> for us at that time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, luckily we didn't see any infection of COVID in orangutans. So I guess all the preventive uh, measures are working quite well. But, but yeah, COVID obviously is a, a threat. We've seen it infect gorillas in the US. And that gives us a, a really good uh, example that there's no reason to, to deny that orangutan can get COVID as well. So yeah, 
prevention is the key. That sounds like you, you guys did a really good job then preventing them from getting sick. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the bigger picture, how many orangutans are left in the wild? Is that a known number? There's an estimate, yeah, in Borneo. Uh, so you know that there are three species of orangutans. One species in Borneo Island called the Bornean orangutan. And there are two species of orangutans in Sumatra Island, which is the Sumatran orangutan and Tapanuli orangutan. So for Bornean orangutan, I think the estimates is about 50,000 individuals at the moment. In Sumatra, it's 13,000. And for Tapanuli orangutans, is about 700 individuals or even less. What would you say is the, the perception of the locals towards orangutans? I know this is a very generalized question, mm -hmm. which does, but <laughs> in general, um, how do the locals um, view the orangutans? Is that like a source for them of attracting tourists, which would be a good thing? Or how do mm -hmm. they see them? Yeah, like you said, this is a very general question and the answer could be different based on um, localization and cultures and time. But based on my experience, I see that local people are getting more and more alienated with their own endemic animals. That's how I see it. For example, if you talk to um, someone in the village in Borneo, not All of them will know a lot about orangutans or any other wildlife. At some point, it could be an opportunity to share a more comprehensive understanding about wildlife and their ecosystem function. But also, on the other hand, it's such a threat as well that people are more and more um, disconnected to nature and to the forest at the local level. I want to share a story. When I was in Nyarumenteng, so we do rescue and confiscation of orangutans quite often, right? And we have a kind of a protocol, an SOP, uh, for when we get an information about uh, the existence of an orangutan somewhere. So first thing, we need to check if it is indeed an orangutan. So for example, um, one day a villager uh, called us and said that Uh, there's an orangutan next to his garden. And then the first thing that we should ask is, what does it look like? <laughs> um, what's the color of the animal that you see? Does it have a tail? Um, how big is it? <laughs> And often they will give, you know, a description that is, no, that's not an orangutan. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's how I see it based on my experience. So it sounds like <laughs> that you're saying that um, there's a lot of... Um, education of the public required to improve mm -hmm. the situation for orangutans mm -hmm. is that right yeah that's true <laughs> and what would you say what is your hope for the future for orangutans in indonesia and malaysia um coming from a reintroduction program my hope will be for us who work in this field is that we can better assess and monitor our introduction programs so that we can really uh, provide good evidence like data, uh, scientific data evidence that our work in orangutan reintroduction is giving a good impact um, on every level from on the individual levels like uh, improving their welfare and then on the population level. So saying we can Uh, confidently say that 
uh, orangutan population is increasing in the wild because we help with reintroduction. And overall, on the habitat level, I hope we can provide some data showing that habitat protection, habitat conservation in Indonesia and Malaysia is improved because there are orangutans and other wildlife that are there and need to be protected and makes a better ecosystem for us. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And it was really interesting to learn more about your work and about the situation of orangutans. Thanks so much for being my guest on the show, Siska. Thank you so much, Kat. It's a great honor to be interviewed on a podcast by WDA. And I wish you all the best with your work in WDA. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Wildlife Health Talks. We will be back with a new story in two weeks. Bye for now. 